And in your Bibles this morning, we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in your Bible this morning. And as soon as you find it, stand to your feet with me, if you will, please, and we'll read God's Word together. 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 in just a couple of verses as the subject today is the stewardship requirement. The stewardship requirement. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Read verse 2 with me, everybody out loud, good and strong together. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. One more time. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Thank you, and you may be seated. Today, as we talk about stewardship on our Chest of Joash Day, let me remind you again about this word stewardship. It's a word you hear sometimes outside the church, generally though you hear it in churches today. A steward was the manager of a Roman household, the manager of the household, and as such, he was in charge of everything in that household. The Greek word for steward is translated in your Bible is okonomos, okonomos, a household manager. Now, he owned nothing. The steward didn't own anything in the house. The family owned the properties. The, yet the steward was responsible for everything. He paid the bills. He had the checkbook. He did the shopping or had it done. He, would, he was the tutor uh, for the children, or if he couldn't teach them himself, he got someone who could. He was, his responsibilities were very, very wide in their range. And this man owned nothing, but he was responsible for everything in that house. The father usually, the family would turn it over, the affairs of the household over to him. And of course, periodically they came to him to find out how things were going. So he was highly, highly accountable. He was responsible. He was accountable. But something else, he was richly rewarded. If he did a good job, these homes were the homes of the wealthy, the rich, and they would pay him, and a steward could be richly rewarded. He, too, in time, could become a wealthy man. And so the emphasis of a steward was, is he, is he faithful? And you see that here in Paul's uh, uh, epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 2. It is required, the stewardship requirement, that a man be found faithful. And so faithfulness is the stewardship requirement, faithfulness, integrity. A steward must have integrity. A steward must be dependable and reliable above everything. In other words, a steward 
the household manager, the Okonomos, had to absolutely be a man of impeccable character. Now, we take that word then and that analogy, that job description of that manager of a Roman household, and we take it over into the realm of our personal stewardship before the Lord as Christians. And uh, I go over every year during our stewardship time what I call the stewardship nutshell. It just helps me say it in a concise, simple, clear way that everybody can understand. And for us, God calls us stewards, but God owns it all. And I put a strong emphasis on that last week in the message. God owns it all. He owns your money. He owns your life. It is He who dispenses life and requires it again. God owns it all. You can't think of anything that God doesn't own by virtue of His creation. He created it all, therefore He owns it all. Secondly, secondly, then, we're His stewards. We are His household managers. We are in charge of the affairs of Almighty God. And we, too, will give an account. We're responsible for everything in our life, as it were, and we will give an account for those things throughout our life. And God will reward us if we're faithful. God, like that ancient household manager or leader in the Roman days, God is going to reward you for your faithfulness in stewardship. Now, the thing about stewardship is stewardship relates to all of life. Stewardship is not just a tiny sliver of our Christian responsibility. Stewardship is all of life for us. And the Bible talks about stewardship of many different things that we normally don't think about. For example, we're stewards of our bodies. We're stewards of our bodies. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't you know that God owns your body, that your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to the Lord. And so, when I'm concerned about my health, when I try to eat right and sleep right and get enough exercise and uh, get checked up and take my pills if I need to take them, when I'm con- working on my health, that's a, that's a matter of the stewardship of the body. And then, of course, there's the stewardship of the gifts and abilities that God has given us. And so, God gives us these spiritual gifts. First Corinthians says every single Christian is given a spiritual gift, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians. Every Christian has a gift. Now, I have a lot of people say to me, oh, I don't know what my gifts are. I don't have gifts. No, you do have a gift. God dispenses those gifts, and He's going to hold us accountable for the use of those gifts. And so, those gifts are given to further His cause, to advance the kingdom, the church, the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then another area we don't think about involving stewardship, if we're Christians today, if we're a Christian parent, we're concerned about the stewardship of our family, and we're concerned about our children. It was God who gave us our children. And God is holding us accountable for the way we rear those children. Have we taught them the ways of the Lord? 
Have we disciplined them? Have we loved them? Have we done everything possible to get them, to, humanly speaking, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ throughout their life? So, I'm a steward of my body. I'm a steward of the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given me to advance His cause. I'm a steward of my family, of my wife, and of my children. And God is holding me accountable, and He will reward me when I am faithful, and He holds me accountable when I fail to be accountable to Him. And so throughout this month, I've preached on various aspects of it. I've touched it. I'm doing a little bit of review. Our theme has been, Is There Not a Cause? And the cause, of course, is the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that cause is carried out through the church, the local church. And that cause is carried out through our families. And so this stewardship is a big, big thing in our lives. So today I want to talk to you about three areas of your stewardship, three areas that I want you to learn to be very, very faithful in. I hope you are, and many of you already are faithful in many of these areas. Number one, I want us to be faithful in time, faithful with our time, faithful with our time. I mentioned this briefly last week, but I didn't get into it very far. The Scripture constantly reminds us of the fleetingness of time, how time is passing and we forget it, and as a consequence, we, we don't lose time. We waste time if we're not aware of this. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 15, our days are like a shadow, and there is none abiding. Our days are like a shadow, and you've watched the shadows slowly, slowly creep, but they're always moving and then there is none abiding, meaning there's none of us that are going to stay here. Some of us have been here a long time, and God's been very good to us. But we're not going to stay. We're moving on, as the old country song says. We're moving on, and we will not be here forever. One of my favorite verses on that subject is Psalm number 90. Will you turn in your Bible with me there today? And I want to show you just two short verses of Scripture, but verses that you as a believer ought to always keep in mind. Don't let these get very far from you, from your thoughts. Psalm number 90, verse 10, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's the average lifespan. If by reason of strength, if God would give us strength to live fourscore years, 80, even so, yet is there strength, labor, and sorrow, and it or we are soon cut off, and we fly away. Nobody lives perpetually. Life is limited. Time is limited. Now, skip the next verse and go to verse 12, and this is a prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Wise is the man who numbers his days, who thinks about time and doesn't let it get away from him. James chapter 4 and verse 14, James there compared life to the morning vapor, 
And especially this time of year, you are aware of the morning vapors, the fog in the morning. And some days I wake up, I have a chair, I sit and read my Bible and plan my day and pray. And I look out the window that's right beside my chair, and some days it's foggy and I cannot even see across the yard. And yet I know that in a few moments, just a matter of minutes, maybe an hour or less, that fog is going to burn out. The sun is going to the sun is already up. It's going to burn that fog away, and I'll be able to see that vapor. That fog is very, very temporary. It lasts for just a moment. It appears for a little time, said James, and then it's gone. And that's the way life is. We come on the scene. We're born. We're little babies. We're children. We're young people. We're, we're in our youth. We enjoy our families and marriage and the things of youth. The children are born. And then we hit middle age before we know it. And um, I have people tell me, you know, I'm soon going to be middle age, and they're already 50. And I say, how long do you plan on living? If you're middle age, <laughs> honey, you're already by middle. And so um, we think we're going to live a long, long time, don't we? But, you know, it gets away from us, and then we're old. Our old years come. And life is like that vapor and like that shadow, the Bible says. Another place it says it's like a hand breath, the width of your hand. And it has all of these metaphors, and every one of them serve to say life is brief. Time is finite, not infinite. In Genesis 1, God created time. He created space, He created matter, and He created time all in one chapter of the Bible, there in the first few verses, you know the passage. But in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6, very few people know this passage, when time shall be no longer. Do you know that time is running out? I think a time like the hourglass, the sand is in the top when we're born, and it flows downward until one day the last grain is gone, and time has run out for us. But someday, and this is speaking about the end of time, the end of the world. Time is going to run out, and there's not going to be any more time, and we're going to go back into eternity. What a profound, what an awesome thought. Arnold Bennett said, we wake up in the morning, and our purse is filled with 24 hours of the magical stuff of life. And Ben Franklin said, do you love life? then do not waste time, for time is the stuff life is made of. Spend it wisely and spend it well. As a young man, somebody recommended to me the book, The Autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. It's a little thin book. It's only about 100 pages. I read it, and it made a profound impression on me, and I've never forgotten. And through the years, I keep giving them out to people who usually don't return them. <laughs> I've got two libraries, one in my office and one that's been loaned out through the years. And so people don't, don't bring them back, so I'll buy me another one. It's just a cheap little book. And I don't know how many times I've looked at it and, and I've read it. And what a wonderful book. I've learned so much about my life and about time from Ben Franklin's autobiography. Buy it 
read it to your children. It would be a wonderful, wonderful book for anybody. And Ben Franklin, let me repeat that quote. Here's what he said in that book. Do you love life? Then do not waste time, for time is the stuff life is made of. Spend it wisely and spend it well. And good stewardship demands that we avoid time wasters. I hear people talk, talking about reading a book on time management. I bet you 90% of the people in here have read a book on time management. And you've gone to a seminar. The company sent you so you'd use your time more efficiently, the person you work for. May I just break your bubble a little bit? There is no such thing as time management. To manage something means you control it. You don't control time. Time marches on. They ought to call those seminars self-management. When we learn to control ourselves, then we can use the time more efficiently. But we don't control time. It's always on the move. The shadow is always moving. The hourglass sand is flowing downward. The vapor is always being burned away. Time marches on. And today we live in a time when there's more things to waste your time on than there ever has been in the history of the world. You know where I'm going. I'm going to social media. Because I, I fear that people are going to get to where I am in life, and you're going to wake up and say, oh, 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 I threw away so much of my life chasing the next video on YouTube. And boy, they're so, they're so smart, aren't they? I know, I fall into it. I'm preaching about our waste of time, not just yours. So I look up a video, and I say, I really like that. And then the next one pops up beside or some little thing on my phone. Oh, I've got to see that too. And 30 minutes is gone. 30 precious minutes that probably accomplished nothing. And we've got a TV set in our room to talk about a big time waster. Just go home and put a sign on that thing, time wasted, and see if it won't help you a little bit, huh? I mean, you look. How much benefit has it been to you to watch every game show you've ever watched or every situation comedy or even sports? Now, I like sports. When the Atlanta Braves are playing, I'm going to watch, if I can, a little bit of the ball game. But you know what? You can watch the Atlanta Braves from 1964 now. You can watch every sport in the world, lacrosse, rugby, tiddlywinks, checkers, I mean, they got it all on there. Talk about wasting time. These precious moments just slip away from us. And before long, we've been robbed of having time for the most important thing of all, for Christ and His cause. No time for Christ. No time for the church. No time for service. No time even for our family if we're not careful. We're stewards of our time. A man stood on a little footbridge. It was just a few feet wide over a little stream, a little creek, if you will. And he was standing there just looking down at the water, just thinking. And there's a little 
wood chip, like somebody had cut a tree or something upstream, and suddenly he sees the little chip, and it's floating. There wasn't much of a current. It was real slow. And he watched it, and he began to compare it to his life, and he began to think of that little chip. And it came to the edge of the bridge where he was standing, and it floats under the bridge and disappears for a few minutes, and he turns and goes to the other side, and he looks at it, and it comes out. It emerges from under the bridge, and slowly, slowly, slowly it goes down, and it's out of sight. Something in his mind made him think of his life, that that chip represented life, and the chip was slowly floating down, goes under, goes into the distance downstream. And he continues to look at it, and he's thinking about it, and it reminded him of the words of one of the great hymns. In fact, we sing that hymn here, O God, our help in ages past, our shelter from the storm. But there's another verse down there that's rarely sung. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. They fly forgotten as a dream, dies at the opening of the day. You ever dreamed a dream, and it was oh so real, and you woke up in the morning, and you couldn't think of it, and you thought, what was that dream? Well, it's died. It died at the opening of the day. And like time, boy, I love that line, like an ever-rolling stream, it bears all its sons away. Someday it will bear me away. I won't be here. Someday it will bear you away. You won't be here. Time. Dost thou love life? Then do not waste time, for time is the stuff that life is made of. Be faithful with your time. Use it wisely. Number two, be faithful with your money. You knew I'd have to get to that today, didn't you? Be faithful with your money. Let me tell you something. You might, please remember this or write it down. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. When I decide to spend my money, it's a spending decision as well as a financial decision. And I think of my money in four categories, four pots if you will, that I have my money in. And if you can think of it like this, it helps you sort of put into perspective what you want to do with your money. Number one, there's money to live. Money to live. You have to live, don't you? And so that's money for food. That's money for shelter. That's money for clothing. That's money for uh, medicine if you need medicine. That's money for transportation. It's hard to live in a world like our world today and not have a car and a way to get around. And so money to live on, and you've got to have that. Number two is money to give. Money to live, but then there's money to give. And when I, every time I, oh, not every time, but maybe once a year or more often, somebody will come to me and say, preacher, you know what? I've been listening to you teach on what the Bible says a Christian is to do with his or her money. And as I do that, I, I, 
I would like, I really want to start tithing. But preacher, my budget is so tight, if I gave a tithe, I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't buy groceries if I tithe. Well, you know, what so many people have is this very rigid legalistic idea of tithing. And see, here's what I tell people when they say that to me. Won't you just start with 2%? Won't you just start? You know, don't wait until you can give what you want to give. Just start. Just say, the Lord wants a little bit out of every dollar that I make, and I'm going to give him at 1%, 2%, whatever I can afford to give him. And then begin to work on that and set your tithe as being a goal for you. And move up to that. The Lord understands that. The Lord's not some rigid, rigid old miser sitting up there and say, boy, they only gave 7%. Boy, I'm not going to. No, he's not doing that. God knows you have to eat. God knows you have medicine. On the other hand, be honest with the Lord and be honest with yourself. And say, well, I'll start with what I can. And if it isn't but $2 a week, start. But be honest, be honest, and every spending decision ultimately is a spiritual decision. A tithe for many people who come to our church is a sacrifice. And for some of us, a tithe is not near enough because we've long since passed the point where we're thinking about what we're going to be able to eat this week or whether we can pay the rent. So, we have to be honest with God, and we have to be honest with ourselves. You know, I, I say this not to boast, but Norma and I haven't tithed in years. We've gone beyond that because we were able to. And it's not that we're rich, but it, it sure is that we are blessed. And if I gave the Lord a tithe, I'd feel a little bit like, well, I could do better than that. Do I really have my heart in this thing, or am I just legalistically hitting my 10%? For many people, a tithe is a sacrifice. For others, it's not enough. Don't make giving your tithe a legalistic standard. I think it is the standard that everybody ought to shoot for early in their life, and they ought to practice it throughout their life. But on the other hand, um, I the you know, people will say, well, the New Testament doesn't teach tithing. Well, it does, and I won't go into that today. But I love what Adrian Rogers said about giving. He said to do less under grace than under law is a disgrace to grace. I like that. To do less under grace than people did under law is to do is a disgrace to grace. So I have money to live. I have money to give. Thirdly, I have money to owe. Most of us have a house payment. If we don't, we have a rent payment, and that's a debt we owe. We have a car payment, and you can, not many people can go out and plunk down cash for a car today in, in the world in which we live, but we, we have some debt. Now, the Bible warns about consumer debt. The Bible warns us about credit card debt, for example, just consumer debt, where you're going in debt for something, you're going to consume it, and it's going to be gone. If you're going in debt, any financial manager would tell you that 
it ought to be to go into debt for something that is an appreciating asset like your house or something along that line. But the Bible warns us about debt. Be careful. All those voices, all those TV commercials, all those uh, tantalizing ads that you're facing every week that the marketers put out there. Remember this, Proverbs 22 and 7, the borrower is servant to the lender. When I owe, I have become the servant of that person that I owe. Romans 13 and 8 says, owe no man anything but to love him. Boy, that's good, solid financial advice, isn't it? Owe no man anything except to love him, to treat him as Christ. Oh, Will Rogers, the country philosopher of long ago said, many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. There's wisdom in that, isn't there? I'll tell you, that was, that was a wise statement. People spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. What a, what a wise man. So there's money to live, there's money to give, there's money to owe, and there's money to grow. And the fourth pot that we keep our money in is savings. Start early. Now, a portion of all you earn is yours to keep, the wise man said. And you know, again, like giving to the Lord, start with a little bit. If it's $2 a week, if it's $10 a week, start saving. And you know what? Do it early in life. Young people don't think they need to save, and old people all wish they'd save more. Young people, listen to me. If you'll study the compound interest table one day, Einstein said it was the eighth wonder of the world. And you know what you'll find out? That you can take just a little bit of money and invest it early in your life, and you'll have a fortune if you live to be an old person. But if you spend it and wait until you're way up there, then you're not going to do very well. And so you have money to grow, to invest. Start early. Proverbs 21 and 20. Listen to this verse. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it all up. Mmm, America. A foolish man spends it all. Learn to save, to grow your money. Proverbs 13 and 22, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man is thinking of his children's children, his grandchildren, and he is putting money back for them as best that he can. Stewardship. Faithful in our time, faithful in our money. And the third one, the last one today, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you know, as you study your Bible through the years, you just keep on discovering more and more truth in God's Word. It just never ends. You scrape the top off of it, and there's a new layer of it, and scrape it again, there's another layer. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and go down to verse 17 with me. Paul, the apostle's writing, he says, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. See the word dispens 
dispensation there. Circle that in your Bible. Now, in my Bible, I'm, I have a center column reference here, a listing of scriptures in the middle of the Bible, and you probably, many of your Bibles do. And you'll have a, a, an alternate or optional uh, definition of a word or of a term. And if, in my Bible, you follow that word dispensation over there to the center, and it's stewardship. Stewardship. So I'm going to read the verse like that. If against my will, a stewardship of the gospel is committed unto me. A stewardship of the gospel. Meaning that the Lord looks at me and his gospel, he looks at me as being a steward of that gospel. A steward of the gospel. Everything I've said about stewardship now applies. The gospel is not mine. I don't own it. The gospel is the gospel of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's put it in my trust, and I'm responsible for it, and I will be accountable for it, and I will be rewarded if I have been faithful in the dispensation of it. And as stewards, God has put you and me in charge of his gospel. What a thought. If the gospel were a commodity, it would be the most valuable commodity in the world. Let me tell you why. Because it was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. If it were a commodity that you could hold in your hand physically, it would be the most valuable of any commodity in the universe. It was purchased with the rich, red, royal blood of Jesus Christ himself on the cross at Calvary. The gospel. Only the gospel has power to change people, to transform a human mind and life. 180 people gathered Friday night over here in the chapel in our RU meeting. And you know why? Because they believe that the gospel has the power to overcome any addiction that they have experienced. And we've seen hundreds of them come through and freed from their addictions by the power of the gospel alone. The gospel not only can transform me, the gospel gives me hope beyond the grave. What is the basis of hope that I will have immortality, that I will live forever? The only hope I have for that is the gospel itself. The gospel is the promise of eternal life. Think about that. Or this week, I just this morning took, just wrote down what I could remember from the news. Five cops over in Memphis, Tennessee, beat a man to death. It's all on video. It's incontrovertible. A hard thing. I could, I watched it and I just wenched when I watched the news, the video of it. Two mass shootings in California, nearly 20 people dead in those, scores of others injured. 100,000 opioid deaths every year now in America, the fentanyl coming in here like unbelievable. 250,000 people a month crossing the border, coming into the country we know nothing about now from over 100 countries of the world. An explosion of suicide 
the highest inflation rate in 40 years. It goes on and on and on and on. I've put you into a deep depression now, haven't I? I mean, but that's the world we're living in. You know what people need? They're dying for hope. And what are you going to tell them is the hope? The Republicans? The Democrats? I'll tell you one thing. My hope is built on something better than an elephant and a donkey. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. That's the gospel of Jesus' blood and His righteousness that He went there and purchased my salvation. So many of our churches don't believe the gospel is what I'm describing. So many of the churches of our day and even people that profess the Christian faith in our day, they've now turned, they're woke. They've turned to the social gospel that we're somehow going to improve the lot of people on the earth and we're going to ultimately and finally change society by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, that government is the answer, that humanity is the answer, that intellectualism is the answer, that education is the answer. We've tried it for 50 years, 75 years. Look where it's got us. What a mess we're in. Don't you think it's time we take seriously our stewardship of the gospel of Christ? Don't you think it's time the churches wake up and understand that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ only that has the power to change a man or a woman from the inside out? A man joined our church recently, and I visited him and talked to him. He said, Preacher, I was a member of a church. It was a Baptist church. I never heard an invitation given in 18 years I never saw a soul saved. I never saw anybody come, home, come and kneel at the altar and pray about their life. In 18 years, not one. We've got to be better stewards than that. We're stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be faithful with your time, church. Be faithful with your money. And be faithful with the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Bow your heads with me, if you will.